Reading Buddies is a program that the Guilford County Schools uh, offers uh, wherein volunteers can sign up to go into the school system on a weekly basis and work with students that are struggling in their reading. And Reading Buddies, in fact, is just one uh, area you can volunteer in, in the Guilford Public Schools. There's a lot of different opportunities, but this is one that um, really uh, appealed to us. We started in Reading Buddies last fall, and it was really the result of, um, of us looking at opportunities in our community to be involved as a church body. And uh, we found out that we could, could actually partner with an elementary school. And we chose Jamestown Elementary because of its uh, proximity to our church, but also because uh, Jamestown Elementary is a Title I school, which means there are a large number of students attending that school who come from families with limited incomes. And, and oftentimes as a result of that, there's, there's needs in those families, and those students start school uh, behind other, other children. And so that's how we became aware of, of the need for it. And Dan and I both thought, you know, this is a way that we could give back to the community. And so we signed up, and uh, within just uh, two, three weeks, they, they had us ready to go. And I think it was probably October when we actually started volunteering. And so we go each Monday, and I'm there first thing in the morning for, for about an hour, and then Dan comes a little bit later to help out. Um, I have really enjoyed uh, doing Reading Buddies. Um, it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to, to get to know the students. I'm in a second grade classroom, and I would say probably about a third of the students in my classroom struggle with their reading. And so it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to spend time with those students and help them. And uh, the teacher that I, I work with uh, gives me a lot of freedom. I get to do different things each week. Sometimes I'm in a, a reading group with a group where we read an article together and then discuss it. Sometimes I'm just working one-on-one -on -one with a student. But probably my favorite thing is, is doing the one-on-one -on -one with a student that is, is struggling. I love the opportunity to encourage them and affirm them and let them know that, that I can see that they're working really hard and that they're going to be successful. I guess for me, I've been thinking about opportunities for volunteering with the schools or some community program with kids, um, but it takes a lot of um, work and research to find the right organization or opportunity for each of us. So I really appreciated when um, the leadership at Wendover Hills um, looked into um, uh, this Reading Buddies program and serving the local schools and just made it easy for those of us uh, that wanted to volunteer to just fit right into the system. And there's just a little bit of easy online paperwork to do. Uh, they do a background check, make sure you're not a liability, and then um, they assign you to a, a teacher or a class. And I've really enjoyed doing that. Um, I'm with kindergartners, and those of you that had kindergartners or, or have right now know that attention span can be pretty low for some of them. I was like that when I was a kid. And so, um, a big part of helping uh, these kids read is to identify uh, what their level is. Some can actually read pretty good, some can't read at all, but then work with them from that point and give them lots of uh, encouragement, push them a little bit, but then make it fun. And it's very rewarding because the kids just, they seem to light up when I get there in the morning um, and we have a lot of fun together. Um, well. Uh, the results I'm seeing, um, in order to explain it, I have to go back a little bit. When I was a, a kid in, in grade school, a primary school, um, I 
was behind in reading and the teachers identified me as someone that needed some extra help in in reading so they sent me to a special class once or twice a week uh, with a special teacher in my case it was a, an, an older lady I'm sure she's well past retirement age but she kept teaching this um, reading class and it was amazing how she transformed me she loved me I knew I was loved by her she gave me a lot of confidence she helped me to see how reading could be interesting especially if I found things that were interesting to read and <clears throat> once I got through her program I caught up with the the other kids in my grade and became an avid reader the rest of my life so I want to give that back to some other kids that may not have that opportunity and as I work with these kids and see the little bit of progress in identifying words and reading I also see their confidence grow and I see that they're having fun with the reading and that's something that the teacher can't do for a large class necessarily very well even even if they want to or try to but with volunteers coming in to work with a few kids at a time um, you can you can really see the difference it's slow at first but it comes along and in my case I can see the outcome what the long-term effect is and I'm just hoping and praying for these kids that um, they have the same kind of success I saw. I think I see some of the same things with the second graders that I work with. Um, you know, each each Monday when I go, you know, my prayer that morning as I'm driving down to the school is, Lord, would you use me today? Obviously, in a public school setting, we're not able to share our faith openly in, in Jesus. But, but I always ask the Lord, just use me to be a channel of your love to these children. And so it's exciting for me to see when they get excited about the progress they're making. I get hugs. I get, you know, words of endearment. And um, I just love that because I think the Lord's answering my prayers, that I would be a channel of his love to these children. And I want to give a shout-out to one of our own reading teachers at Wendover Hills, Tanya Rodriguez. Keep up the good work, Tanya. Someday there'll be adults like us that never forget what you're doing now. We're Dan and Patty Kidder, and we have the opportunity to serve our community through the Reading Buddy program at, J at Jamestown Elementary. Amen. So we've been asking this question for the th three weeks now in our series, what does love do? I mean, we preach love all the time, right? Get out there and love people, love people. You know, you post about it on Facebook. What does it actually do? And so the last three weeks, that's what we focused on. So you've actually seen through video people from Wendover Hills who have gone out and they have decided to take this message of loving others into some real practical ways. And so uh, those ways continue. And there's many more. But I would encourage you, if, like, if you've been inspired in any way, here's two things you could do. One, you could go to one of those people or to myself and say, I want to get plugged in with one of those things I saw on the screen. And we'll connect you with the right people. Or you could say, I've had this stirring in my heart. And then we'll sit down and say, let's talk about how you do that. And we'll launch something brand new that God has put on your heart. That's the focus love does. So the last two weeks, we've talked really uh, mainly about going out, getting out there and loving, being intentional. We've talked in terms about the my one, having that person in your life who you're like, I, I intentionally will have relationship with them and trust and wait for God to open up a door where I'll be able to share about what I've, I've experienced in Christ. And this week, I, I want to continue that 
But I want to focus also on the invitation. When does God flip the switch to where we actually invite them to hear about Jesus? Or we invite them into a setting like this, where we know this body of Christ who loves Jesus and who will love them can be significant in their life also. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lost anything that has drove you crazy to find? Anything? Like some of you are like, yes, this morning, I couldn't find my keys or my wallet or even my kids, and it was time to leave, right? Yeah. Now, I want to tell you about a a time I lost something uh, in my life, and uh, I want to give you a heads up right now that I don't want any jabbing or snickering about this because this was really traumatic in my life, all right? I will fight you in the parking lot afterwards, okay? (laughs) But growing up, there was this very dear object in my life. In fact, I... Spent every single day with this. Uh, the object was named affectionately Big Bunny. Um, this, this is kind of a picture, not the exact Big Bunny, but this is very close to Big Bunny. Um, Big Bunny because Big Bunny was accompanied by a smaller bunny, Little Bunny, all right? The two went together. They slept with me every single night on my bed. Um, and in fact, every once in a while, I would take Big Bunny and I would tie a handkerchief around her neck and she became Super Bunny during that period of time. So Big Bunny slash Super Bunny was with me everywhere I went. I mean, not everywhere I went, but every night in my bed was with me every day. In fact, when I went off to college, um, I took Big Bunny with me. Little Bunny stayed back, right? I mean, he's little, young, wasn't ready for that kind of trip. But Big Bunny was. So I took Big Bunny with me to college. Now, I did not sleep with Big Bunny in college because, you know, I've got two roommates um, there. And, but Big Bunny had a prominent spot on the shelf there in my dorm room. Now, I moved into a, a room in an apartment a couple years into college, and Big Bunny went with me and sat in the corner of the couch that was in my room the whole time. Well, uh, as happens sometimes in college rooms or when you're in college, my uh, condominium room got a little messy at times, a little cluttered at times with different things. And then when it was came time to move out of that condominium back into my parents for a couple months, then on to grad school in Kentucky, uh, I noticed I, I just threw everything together. And then when I was at my parents, I needed to get Big Bunny to go to seminary with me. I'm sure I'm the only seminary student with Big Bunny. I couldn't find Big Bunny. I, I, everywhere I looked, I could not find where the Big Bunny was. I drove all the way back out to Los Angeles to that condominium. It was another person was living there, and I said, somewhere Big Bunny is in this condominium. We've never discovered Big Bunny. Um, it's been 25 years, and uh, I can honestly tell you I'm not quite over it yet. Uh, every once in a while, I have the thought of, wait a second, I think I placed, I remember placing Big Bunny in a certain spot. And I think, how do I track back 25 years to see if Big Bunny's still in that spot? Um, But to no avail, Big Bunny is still lost even to this day, 25 years later. So um, if you'd like to join in the search after church, we'll be having a meeting. And I can tell you how you can be helpful. Um, Have you lost something that you're just like, I've got to find that? And it just, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's just frustration till you find that thing. Well, that's where we're going this morning. In fact, the phrase I want you to understand, it's in your sermon notes this morning. In fact, if you got in here and you didn't get sermon notes and 
and uh, you'd like a set of them, just slip up your hand. Uh, Pastor Anson will, will bring one to you, and, and you can join in. But here's the thing that I, I'd like you to know is how consumed we are with finding something lost, how consumed you are with finding something lost, that equals our love for it. Or at very least, it equals its significance to us. Listen, if something is significant, if you love something and you lose it, well, we understand. We look for it. We look and we look and we look. Parents, how long when you discovered your child was not holding your hand there at the amusement park did you go bonkers? Took all about three seconds, didn't it? If that long. Right, that's dear to us. So significant to us. Our car keys. I can't go anywhere now. That's so important to us. And the list goes on and on. How consumed we are with finding something lost equals our love for this. Listen, God understands this principle. Jesus teaches this principle. In fact, God actually lives this out too, and he lived it out through Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning. You see, there's this place in Scripture in in Luke chapter 15. And you've probably noticed by now, as we're walking through this love does, that we've actually gravitated to real life stories in the Gospels involving Jesus as he teaches us through story about what love actually does. And so he tells this story, in fact, it's three quick little stories he puts together about lost things. He talks about a shepherd losing a sheep, one sheep, right? One, and of a hundred. So 99 are there, one is lost, and we learn in this short little story the value of leaving the 91, 99 excuse me, and finding the one and how much rejoicing in heaven there is over the one. In fact, Jesus makes it emphatic that there's more rejoicing over this one than the 99 who were safe all along. So we get that story. Then Jesus goes in and he tells this story about a lost coin right? I mean, who doesn't flip out a little bit when you've lost money, right? And so he, we get this short story about the lost coin and the search and the search and the joy of finding the lost coin. Now, I don't know, when I read that story, it seems like it all happened in a short period of time. For me, it's more like, you know, I have no idea where that money is. And two years later, I put that pair of jeans back on and I go, whoa, hey, bonus day and you've got your money. I don't know how it works for you, but we certainly understand the principle Jesus is teaching. Lost money found, that's a good thing. That's an exciting thing. But it's almost like this. When Jesus is telling these stories, he's talking about a shepherd. Now, in the Old Testament, you might understand, like, you know, the bigger your flock could be, the, the, you know, and you would have more and more kids and more and more sons, especially in the Old Testament, to take care of it. That was part of your riches. In the New Testament, what we find more and more is that these shepherds were hired shepherds to be out tending flocks that probably didn't belong to them in, in many situations. And so you could see here, it's significant if you lose something especially something that doesn't belong to you. And you're being employed for that very purpose. Why? You're probably about to lose your job, right? I've got to find that one and how significant it is. So you can understand somebody in that setting if indeed that was the case. Um, Money. We can understand money is important, right? Well, we use it to pay all kinds of things. You need gas in your car, the pump probably is going to take money from you to make it happen. So it's important when we find that money. 
So Jesus is telling this, and he, he's, he's driving a point home how important lost things are. Then he gets to this third story. And it's as if very subtly Jesus kicks it up a notch. And he says, Look, those are really important. But this third one is about people. It's about real people. Let me tell you this story, Jesus says. And he goes on and shares a longer, more elaborate, more detailed story about what it lost and how it's really important to God. A story about people. So I'm going to just read it to you this morning. If you're a believer here and you're like, I've been to church for 20 years, I've probably heard that story read 800 times, and you are tempted anyway to click off, don't do it, all right? Because God and Jesus is going to drive home a point here, and I just want to ask the question after this story, so what? What does it really mean to us as believers right here at Wendover Hills? So Luke chapter 15, if you've got your Bible, will be in verse 11. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen. It's in your notes, however you'd like to get to it, your tablet, your phone, whatever. Let's follow along in Luke chapter 15 as we read God's word. It says this, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So normally this would happen when the father died. The younger son just said, Hey, I'll take it now. You know, just, just give it to me now. Not long after that, the younger son uh, got together all he had, all of his possessions. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a, a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I was thinking back uh, just a couple weeks ago, I got to see my youth pastor of 25 plus years ago, uh, first time I've seen him in that many years, but I remembered right away he used to sing in fourth and fifth grade Sunday school that I helped him in. He used to sing this little song, pig slop, get away from that tub of pig slop, that's all I'm going to sing for you. Um, but that, I read that and I can actually visualize this guy's face down eating pig slop. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, beautiful verse right here, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and we'll celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me as even a young goat so I could celebrate with friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and alive. He was lost and he was found. It's as if Jesus is trying to say these other things, your, your job or the, 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 the sheep lost and needing to go find it, those are important. The coin, that's important. But let me really make sure you, I drive home what is of significance and highly important to God and its people. And so he shares this, this story where we get the feel of the compassion of a father who's searching and hoping for a son to return. In fact, when I read this, what, what hits me is what other, we read in other places in the gospel is that Jesus' mission, what consumed his, as we talked about in the beginning, what consumed him was lost people. It was people far from God. It was disenfranchised people, people who had been beat down. It was people who were lost in life. That was Jesus' mission, and he was passionate about this. Listen, church, can I just ask you for a second? I mean, just do a check of yourself. How passionate are you for people who are lost in life? How passionate are you for people who don't know God or people who are out there struggling in life? And you say, gosh, there's so much joy in Christ. How passionate are you for those people? That is what Jesus is driving home. Listen, I, I read this story and uh, this issue of lost or what, G, what the, Jesus says here, dead and now is alive. And I ask the question, what, is, what does he mean by that? Like, what does he mean by lost or dead and now alive again? When I was younger in the faith, I became a Christian about 17 years old. And uh, when I became a Christian, very early on going off to, to school to study ministry, uh, for me, it was, it was so cut and dry. There was this idea of over here, you were lost. It means you've rejected God harshly. You were probably living in some of the vilest sins out there, you know, and I didn't know at the time, you know, I was pretty naive. So I just thought that meant you were drinking and smoking, you know, and that was it. And so you were over here, you were lost, right? And we needed to figure out how to save you. And over here, those that we would call saved, I would say they were like just living the joy of every bit of life over here, and everything was, was good, or I, I don't know that I said perfect, but good. And that was it. It was a very clear either or, and there was nothing in between. But you know, now in life, I look and I'd say, wow, lost people, people far from God, people who are lost in life, they look all kinds of different ways. And there's people that like the sun, right now what they're doing is they're saying, I don't really want to have anything to do with this God thing. Or I don't really understand it enough. I, I just want to kind of take what I have or want to take my own way. And I just want to kind of go put my own plan in life. And that's where they're headed, just like the son when he departed the father. You know, there's other people out there that, uh, that they're actually out and they are living the life up the way they want to live it up. Just like the son, once he actually arrived, took all of his stuff, took his inheritance, headed off, then he started living the way he wanted to live. Now, for this guy, it was squandering. It, was, it seemed like a, a pretty rough uh, lifestyle he chose. You know, but there's lots of people out there that they're just living life how they want to live it with God not in it. And I look and I say, yeah, they're lost, 
in the sense of they don't have God in their life, but man, they're, they're lost with a pretty big smile on their face, like this son probably was when he was living it up. I don't recognize that. Then, of course, the son, for him, he hit rock bottom. And there's times when people in my life, even my own self at times, has hit that rock bottom state. And I would say, like, that clearly looks like some people in life, that they're lost. They've hit rock bottom. They've got nowhere to go. We saw that a couple weeks with our Teen Challenge video, just how eager they were because they knew what they'd experienced. And they knew it's time to put their life in someone else's hands. But then we also have this, this last stage when the son returns and says, I'll just go be a servant. Is he still lost? You know, there's so many people in my life that I'm like, I can tell they have a search. They're looking for something. They, they got a spiritual journey tracking, but they just feel like a little lost in it. And they haven't been introduced to who Jesus is and what he can bring to it. And Jesus is saying here in this story, quite simply, all of these people, at whatever stage they are, matter to God deeply. He's consumed with that. Luke chapter 19 says it this way, for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to find and to restore who? The lost. Those who were lost. And so Jesus spends so much of his time. The father actually understands this in the story. We actually, that's why we get his attitude in the story. We find two different attitudes in the story. One is this, the the loving father is consumed by what? By who's missing. He's consumed. He has a son who is not there. Now, two years ago, we sent one son off to college, right? And he's away, nine hours away at college. Now, I love my other two kids. We have an exchange student with us, too. Love Alan, too, right? But we've felt for a little while like this is different. It's kind of weird. It's like there's a component missing. Like every once in a while, um, I, I, I am looking at the clock, and I'm thinking, you know, if I jump in the car right now, I could be there in nine hours, you know, and we could interact for a little while, and I'll just turn around and drive back home. You know, we could get lunch or something in. The father's heart is he's consumed with, with who's missing here. He knows the son, in his case, the son is lost. And so we find he's looking. Even when the son was way off, the father sees and the father goes to the son. We get that contrasted by the older brother that we find at least at the end of the story, he's consumed with himself. Now, I stopped short of calling the, the, the son the ultimate bad guy. Jesus is just telling a story to teach one point. But here, I think the son is a lot like us sometimes. Like, we can actually get off track in our thinking, and we can think, well, what about me? What about me? I'm like, I'm in church every Sunday. Like, I serve every week. I mean, gosh, Tom, you know, you made a video of me. You know, uh, we can say whatever we want, Right? We can get off track just a little bit when our focus doesn't stay on who's missing or people that are far from God or who God has put in your life to intentionally be a blessing to share Jesus with. Can I just tell you, I used to go to the youth camps. You probably did too. And uh, on the last night, they would have the big campfire. Did you ever go to one of these, the big bonfires? And people would start sharing their testimonies around the campfire. And eventually somebody, right, is sharing a story about, 
you know, all of the things they did, you know, about all the, the cars they stole and the drugs they did and the, you know, on and on and on. Um, and then the conversion moment. And that's powerful. It's a powerful story. And I'm sitting there, and I'll be honest, I'm sitting there sometimes thinking, all right, I was sitting in my room one day, and God said, hey, why don't you just become a Christian? And I said, okay, I guess I will. And like, that was it. That's as dramatic as my testimony was, and I haven't come off it since 17 years old. I was convinced in just a very quiet, quick word from God. And every once in a while, I'm sitting at those campfires, especially when I was in, in high school and college, and I'm thinking, well, what about my testimony? You know, my testimony is about obedience and immediate call, and I didn't go do all those things and that type of thing. And here, it's so easy if we're not careful to slip into the attitude of the older brother and not understand what Jesus is teaching. What Jesus is teaching is, older brother, you're going to be rewarded. You're in a blessed, blessed position your obedience will not come back on you as void. But the son was missing, and now he's here. And the compassion of the father. The father first goes to the son, but then he does something else. He invites the son in. The father goes and says, now come in and be my honored guest, and here's what I'm going to do for you. That invitation is powerful. Listen, if you're here this morning, maybe you're here because somebody invited you to come here, come be here with us. It could be that you actually left the church world years ago. It could have been a, a rough experience, a tough experience. It could have just been your own rejection, you know, whatever it is. But just like the Father, I want this morning for you to understand that God himself is doing the same thing. He's saying, please, the invitation is there. Come, be welcome be celebrated. Come, let us, let us involve you this morning. Let's, let's feel like this is a place that you can come and you can experience Christ. You see, if the message of Jesus is for everybody, listen, church, our culture needs to be that of inviting anybody. If it's for everybody, we've got to invite anybody. Anybody God puts in our path, anybody God has put on our heart, that we'd invite them to know Jesus. We'd invite them to hear about what Jesus has done for our life. We'll invite them to come sit right here with us and to be a part of this. And I believe, Wendover Hills, so much in you as a church that I believe I could invite anyone, no matter what they look like, what they believe, what they were into in their life, and you would embrace them and you'd love them. Even if two weeks ago when we talked about accept but not approve, I know you would love them and welcome them in. And that gives me great confidence as your pastor. In fact, I was having lunch a couple weeks ago with another pastor, a friend, not somebody you know, but uh, as we were talking, he said, Tom, I just don't know if I could invite my friends to my church. I just don't know if they would be received or loved or brought in. I'm not even sure style-wise it would connect, and I'm not sure my church would ever really take the time to think through that on how to connect with other people. And can, can I just tell you that I'm listening to that and I'm feeling for my friend, but on the other side, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm so blessed in what God has made just into you and who you are. That I'll invite anybody. I hope you feel the same to invite people to come and to experience Christ right here in this mist, to experience what God is doing in the body of believers that loves here.
So love prays. We talked about that. We pray for people all the time. Love accepts even when we don't approve, right? You accept people, love people, receive people. Love invests. We talked about last week that eventually to love somebody, what does love do? It's going to cost you some time, some energy, maybe your finances as well, all right? You got to do something. But ultimately, love invites. Love invites somebody to experience Jesus, Invite somebody into the atmosphere where they will hear more about Jesus. So here's my takeaway. It's quite uh, practical and simple for you this morning. Who's missing next to you right now that you need to reach out to and invite? Who is it that's missing? Somebody in your life that God has already set up the relationship, have already opened up the door, and a simple invitation, come, come sit with me. I really think you'll get to experience Jesus in a way, and hear about Jesus in a way if you'd come with me? Or who is it that just sitting down and having a Jesus conversation, inviting them into faith, who has God put in your life? We've been praying this week for your one. Many of you last week filled out a card that just put a name, and you said, please be praying for this person as God uses me to share Christ with them. And I want to invite you to do that this week. Just taking your red card and on the back, just simply writing that name. And we'll be praying along with you for whoever God has put on your heart this week. Be a friend. Love them. Be there when they need. And let God be the one who speaks to you about when to share Christ. Let me pray for you uh, in this, if you don't mind. Would you bow and pray with me? So, Father, I just thank you for the series of Love Does. And Father, my, my hope and my, my praise of you would be that it, everyone in here would launch out and they would ask practically, what do I actually need to do to love this week? For some, they, they know. They, I mean, they, they turn their head as fast as they can be when their neighbor looks their way. And it could be the simple thing of, I'll engage in conversation. Maybe somebody in the cubicle next to them or down the hall or whatever. It may even be somebody that annoys them to no end but you have called them to reach out and to love. Father, there's people that are far from you all around us, people that are looking for different ways in their life, but they just come up a bit lost. Some are even started a spiritual journey, but they just don't understand how Christ fits into it. So, Father, use us. Give us wisdom to be praying daily in this direction. And then, Father, give us your wisdom on how to, and how to invite people into a relationship with you or right here into a church service to sit and be with us that we might fellowship in this Christian environment with them. So, Father, do that this week. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So this week, 